Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we're studying the Decalogue, 10 Words for Our Living. These are the Ten Commandments that shape the way Christians live, a word that has not been abolished but fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join this study as we take a commandment each week and see the way God has intended for us to live in fellowship with Him. Subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday. We will continue this week uh, in the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments that uh, Brother Vance uh, started last week and uh, will be... I'm guessing, a 10-sermon series. And he began with the first commandment last week, and today we will get into the second commandment. And I am going to begin reading to you out of Exodus, and I'm going to read chapter 19, and then the first six verses of 20. So do not be alarmed by the length of the scripture, we will be preaching on basically three verses there at the end. So if you would like to stand for the reading of God, please feel free to do so. Uh, in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai. De desert. Does anybody want some Sinai for dessert? Some people call that desert, I think. So we'll just go ahead and call it desert then. Oh, my gracious. Uh, the desert of Sinai and had pitched uh, in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, thou, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar people, treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not 
and hand touch it, and he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud unto the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the, unto the people and spake unto them. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And now verse 4 through 6, which we will concentrate on this morning. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto uh, the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I just... Thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that, God, as uh, we settle in to listen to your word, and, God, that we would just uh, understand that just by what we've read this morning, the seriousness of these words that you gave to your people, that now, God, in this time are those that uh, know Christ, your Son, is their Savior. We are your people, and these are the words that we live by. Your words are life. In them is life. And God, just that um, we understand the seriousness, and God, that it just humbles us. It humbles us to the point that we listen and understand that um, while your word is serious, it's serious because um, God is our creator, as our God, you know what's best for us. And God, that is just such a struggle for us. God, the spirit is willing, we know, but the flesh is weak. And God, we know that we, that we will fail you and that we are uh, always tempted, uh, as James said, to go our own way. But God, as believer, as a believer, I know your way is best for me. I have experienced it and I have seen it and I've seen you prove it. And God, I just praise you and thank you for that. And God, just... Uh, 
hide me behind the cross today, God, that the, the words I speak are um, just from you because, God, I know that from my own self I have nothing worthy to say. And, God, all the glory be to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, last week, Brother Vance talked about uh, the first commandment that the Lord God is our God and that we should have no other gods before Him. And as you look at the rest of the commandments and you see what they are and what they pertain to, it makes perfect sense that the first one would address the idea of a graven image or an idol or other gods. As he said in the verse before, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And essentially that's what an idol would be. It would be another god. And, and our sense of an idol is probably not quite the same as it was to these people then because an idol um, was something that was very big part of that culture uh, of the Gentiles during that time. They, they made idols. They, they created them out of, out of uh, wood or metal. And, and the essential uh, definition of an idol is something that, that's made to resemble a God to be worshipped. And so in that time, they would make different gods. Either there was Baal was one. Uh, the Israelites themselves always had a terrible struggle with, with worshipping false gods. Uh, and and so, so this was a really huge deal in that day to create an idol. Now, I would say today that in that same sense, we really don't have to create one. They're all around us. Many things that we will make an idol. And if you really want to get right down to uh, the definition of an idol, it would really be just simply this. Anything that we put before God or, or something in our life that takes up more time than God is an idol. And um, I would uh, argue that there's just no shortage at all of something in our time right now to, to find as an idol. We idolize people, places, things, money, jobs. I mean, there's just a multitude of, of things that can become idols in our lives. And I, and I think it's important that we also consider here that at this point in time, God is talking to His people, His children. Um, in a real sense today, it's to, to, those, to those of us who are saved. This is... This is God's expectations. And, and to those that are lost, those who don't know Christ as their Savior, then there's this danger that, that if you don't know the true and living God, then you are by default worshiping an idol. And that seems 
sketchy because if you don't, I mean, I think for a lot of our society, if you don't go to church or, or, or something like that, it's not a worship setting, so how do you worship anything from that sense? But, but again, I will say anything that you love and, and, and for a Christian, anything that takes more time than God is, is certainly going to be considered an idol. And, and so, as a safe person, can you have idols in your life? Yes, I think it's very, very likely that you can. Um, because Christians are constantly checking themselves to see where they're at in their walk with Christ. And, and, and so it's very easy for an idol to slip upon us and, and start taking up our time, uh, uh, vying, vying for what God deserves. And so um, I'm going to try to get into some points about this this morning, but, but there's a danger in idol worship. And the first thing I want to bring out here is that idols are false gods. Idols are false gods. Now, when we read these verses here in verse 4, he says, Thou shalt not make unto thee. Well, do not make signifies man-made. So the first problem with idols and proof that they're a false god is because they're man-made. They're, uh, they're man's evil imagination. That's what an idol is. It comes from man's uh, evil imagination. In Psalm 135.15, um, says this, as soon as I find it, it'll say it. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. So they're not any real God at all because they're created by us. And so when you consider the fact that they're from man's evil imagination and that, that man's imagination is evil because there's just nothing good in us, Jesus said there is none good but one, and that is God. And and so the, the fact that... Uh, Idols are man-made is proof enough that they're false. Uh, in uh, Jeremiah, I thought I had this marked. Well. 
Man, I can't find it now. But, uh, but in Jeremiah 10, 3 through 9, uh, we see again that, that they're made by the hands of man and, and that they're not uh, anything that, that can give any sort of, of, uh, of life. And uh, when we think about going back to the first part of the Ten Commandments that God is God and that you should not have no other gods before Him and, and that God wants to be an exclusive God. And that's the second thing about a false God is they're not exclusive. You can have more than one God and, and, and there's, there's, it's, it's whimsical. You can, you, can, uh, you can take that in any direction it, you want it to go. A God can become anything you want it to be. And what's it going to fulfill? It's going to it's going to feed to your flesh, and and so so a god a false god is not exclusive. And I I say in, uh, if you look at Acts uh, in Acts uh, seventeen twenty three, and this is where um, Paul was speaking to this group, and he says to them, and and, and it's 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 uh, It's when he was, uh, it says in 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, he was in Greece. And he says, uh, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, which therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare to you. Now, now this is, you talk about not being exclusive. Now they had gods that they worshipped. But what did they do here is they went ahead and put up an altar to an unknown god just in case they missed one. And so they were certainly concerned about worship and worshipping the gods, um, but there was no real uh, satisfaction in it because because they weren't sure that they had them all. So just in case they don't have them all, they set up an altar to the unknown God. And, and what does Paul say to them? He says, um, Him I declare to you. Who did he declare to them? He declared to them, as Brother Vance said last week, the exclusive God. The God who created us. The God that gave us these commandments. God is exclusive because God is God. There is no beginning with God. There is no end. When we look at these idols, don't they have a beginning and an end? They're, they're what was that word we used this morning? Uh, finite. They have a beginning and they have an end. You know, something that's infinite has no beginning, has no end. God is exclusive from that perspective. He's infinite. Me and you, we're finite. We have a beginning and we'll have an end. <clears throat> See, the thing with uh, an exclusive God is you will never be in the predicament of these people on Mars Hill. 
because you'll never wonder if you missed one. Because God, the God, is not a God. He is the God and He is exclusive. <clears throat> Third thing about a false God is that they're not eternal. Um, <clears throat> when I think about eternity or an eternal God, <clears throat> I think about what Christ said, or about a false gods not being eternal. I think about what Christ said in Matthew 6, 19, and he tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Well, everything he's talking about there would be something that we may make or consider an idol. They're, they're all material things. You know, you make an idol out of solid gold, there's definitely a chance somebody might want to steal in or break in and steal that. They might not care anything about your idol. They just want your gold. But the probability is there. We can see what we're doing is we're contrasting that with God. And once God is yours, He's forever yours. He's eternal. Christ paid the price that we owe for us. And when we accept Christ, it is eternal. See, you're not going to have everlasting life. You already have everlasting life. Because we are eternal beings. But the difference is, is in this life, in this life, we make a choice. And we will have eternal life or we'll have eternal death. We will have eternity with God or we will have eternity separated from God. And you know, those things, that's a, that's a nice way of saying hell. But it's a reality. The reality of heaven and hell exists just as sure as the reality of creation exists. I'm here. I'm created. I, I did nothing to get myself here. I have a beginning and I have an end here on this earth. But after being born, I have become eternal in one way or another, in life or in death. And I'm telling you, if you know Christ is your Savior, you already have eternal life. Jesus also tells us that all things on earth and heaven and earth will pass away. The only thing that won't pass away is His Word. It's eternal. His Word is also eternal. Another point I want to bring about idols are idols are dead. They're dead um, physically. Psalms 115.5, it says that they have mouths but cannot speak and they have eyes but cannot see. And in Psalm 135, 6, 
it says they do not speak and they do not see. So they do not and they cannot. They're an inanimate object. Psalms 135, 15 through 18. says, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands, which I read earlier. Now he continues on. He says, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They are dead physically. They, they don't have a physical life. Me and you have a physical life too, right? Physically, I'm alive. At some point, physically, this body right here will be dead. Idols, idols that are man-made, whatever you make into an idol. I mean, you can even argue that this person over here is your idol, but, 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 but physically, as an idol, they're still dead because you created them as an idol. You see what I'm saying? Even, even in that sense, they're still dead. But, but that really even goes further because here's where idols really are dead, spiritually. They're spiritually dead. There's no spirituality in them. <clears throat> Jeremiah 11, 12, he says, Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings but they cannot save them in their time of trouble. See, well, let me read this other verse. I got wrote in here too real quick. Spiritually dead, Isaiah 45, 20. Assemble yourselves together and come. Draw together, you survivors of nations. And then he's speaking of the Gentiles. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Now, first of all, look real closely at what that says. At a God that cannot save. Not who, not who, but that. Because it's an inanimate object. It can't save. It's spiritually dead. It can spiritually do nothing for you. And there's a dilemma there because, because me and you are spiritually dead without Christ. Romans 8.16 tells me that I can know God. And it says that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Jesus said to worship Him, those who worship God, He says you must worship in spirit and in truth. It's spirit. It's spiritual. God is spiritual. That's what God is, is spirit. See, a dead idol is neither personal 
or relational. That's what Brother Vance talked about with God last week. God is personal and God is relational. God seeks you. Does an idol seek you? I mean, you, you create the idol. I create the idol. It's not seeking. It's not personal. It's not relational. It's not fulfilling. The truth is, is idols simply fulfill fleshly desires. In James 1, 14, you're familiar with this. He says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Well, what do you think an idol is derived from? It's derived from our own lust. And certainly that entices us because it fulfills the flesh. Every Christian in here knows that because you still fight that flesh battle, right? And fight it you'll continue to do while you're still in this body. And here's where it really gets serious is idols replace God. And really, if you get right down to it, it would be better to say this. Idols attempt to replace God. And I say attempt because they cannot do it. Because they absolutely cannot do what God can do. There is nothing or no one that can do what God can do. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. I am one of the truths. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So anything that tries to take that away is trying to replace God. They're, they're attempting to be in place of God. And, and, and there's three problems with that. And, and number one is this. It denies God's truth. And I'm going to be heavily in Romans for this last little part here. And hang with me because we won't be much longer. I got more Bible verses for you than I got anything else. Uh, but in Romans 1, and Romans 1 is just such a uh, fantastic uh, chapter uh, to read. Take yourself five minutes and probably even less and read that. Uh, well, we're going to read most of it anyway. But, but idols in place of God denies God's truth. R Romans 1, 18, and then I'm going to read Romans 1, 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against un all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they refuse to accept the truth. 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Now, listen closely to that. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen.
the created, the idol, whatever it may be. But it's a lie. That's the problem, is it denies God's truth. Listen, folks, anything, anything that denies the Word of God uh, is, is a lie, period. And if it tries to deny the truth of God's Word, it certainly has a danger of being an idol. What else? It denies God's glory. Romans 1, 21 through 23. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Pro professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. It deny God, it denies God his, his just and right glory. God deserves the glory. God made me. God, God takes care of me. God, God feeds me. God all my provisions. I've said this before. I can try to take credit saying, well, I work really hard. Well, okay, maybe so. Why do I have the physical ability to work? I mean, it's all a gift from God. I really cannot take credit for any of it. I can, but it's a lie. Because it denies God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not the God of this world, Satan, blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It takes the glory away from God. And, and the God of this world in that, tries to keep the glory away from God because in that, he can keep you away from God. First Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Folks, that's what we're created for. Our worship of God gives him glory. Our worshiping an idol throws the glory off of God from ourselves when I worship an idol I am not glorifying God not in my heart there's nothing humble about worshiping a false God an idol Philippians 2.11 says every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father listen there is where the rubber, as they say, meets the road. Because eventually, every knee will bow at judgment. Saved and lost will bow and say, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be to the glory of God. 
We can bow our knee now and confess Christ. Or we can wait till it's too late and you'll still confess Christ. And so here's the last but not least. And we will stay right here in Romans 1. We have no excuse. No excuse to worship idols. No excuse to refuse God. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Paul says, because that which may be known of God is manifest or made known in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, so here we go. You know that idol that we're making? It's proof that God is created. I mean, it's a, it, it just flops it right around. And because it says it right here, that, that all creation is to God's glory. It glorifies God. So the very thing that we try to make an idol is really a glorification of God. So we just refuse to see the truth. That's what this breaks down to us right here. It, it comes down to me. It comes down to Chad's personal decision. And here's the thing. And, and, and you know, I know people find some things like this as harsh, but, but the reason we have these words of God is not because He's harsh, it's because He loves us. He created us. It makes sense. He would know what's best for us. So he's, his very word is the attempt. Why he's telling us all these things and so much more is an attempt to get me and you to see who he is and that he loves you and that he loves me and, and, and that all these things he's telling you is because of that. But there is no excuse and God won't have it in Romans 1, 24. He says, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. In verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie again and worshiped and served the creature, creature more than creator who is blessed forever. And if you go back... He turned them over to their depraved minds. And if you go back to Exodus 20, where we began, <clears throat> and go to verse 6, maybe 5 and 6. At the end of 5, he says... I say toward the end, really. I, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. That's exclusive. Brother Vance talked about that last week. I hit on it a little bit here because idols are not exclusive. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. In other words, he leads them to what it is they want to do. It's their choice. They've made their choice. Now listen. This does not mean, as some people try to make it out to mean, that because a father sins, that sons and daughters from generation to generation will pay for that because of the father. 
is just the sinner. No, it's that the, 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 the family, the, 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 the children stay in that idolatry sin. And that's our effect, folks. That, I mean, as parents, that ought to alarm you. That ought to wake you up to, to leading your children in Christ's likeness. Because they're very likely to follow in what you teach them. Because look at what God goes on to say. He says, visiting iniquity of fathers up unto children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And he means the exact same thing. To the third and fourth and however many generations that continue in that. The Bible has example by example of godly people and, you know, children that follow in their ways. And it has examples of the evilness of some kings and how a lot of times the kings followed in that way. But it's not always true because it was a personal decision. You pay for your own sins, not somebody else's. We've seen some evil kings that had godly sons who became kings. And we've seen some godly kings who had sons that became ungodly kings, which is just proof that it's our choice. Every breath you take, you have a chance to make a choice. You know, as Christians, every breath we take, we have a chance to make a choice on how we're going to live our lives. Will we continue to live for Christ? Will we fall into sin? Will we allow something else to become an idol to us? And then also as somebody that may not know Christ as their Savior at the moment, you have that chance and that choice. You make that choice now. It's the most opportune time because you may not have it then. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to offer you. Because that's the other thing about an exclusive God. He's sovereign. You won't tell Him how long you'll live. And we just simply don't know. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ this morning. Uh, I'd be happy to pray with you. I'd be happy to pray with anybody that wants to pray about anything. But you don't know Christ and you, you want to, uh, or you just want to talk with him, uh, feel free to come talk to me. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we just uh, pray again, thank you for the God that you are and uh, God that you can love us so much that you would provide so great salvation. See Christ pay a price for something that I deserve. God, I just know when I look at myself, it's not real hard to see the sin. And uh, so, God, I very much realize how much I need salvation. I do pray that there's any here that don't know you, they see that and realize they need salvation. And God, not just that they realize they need it.
where you were. listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit us on a Sunday to see how you can participate in the ongoing work that God is doing in New Life Baptist Church. Where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and most of all, we grow in Jesus Christ.